Welcome once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. This is your host, Philip A. Jones. Today we have a special guest who is known in the extreme survivalist world as the GOAT. He has conquered the wilderness six times on the hit TV show Naked and Afraid and is now bringing his skills to bear as the co-host of a new hit series on the Inspire TV network called Mountain Masters. We welcome to the show E.J. Snyder. Thank you for joining us. How's everything going for you, my brother? Philip, hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate the uh, time to be here today with you and your audience. I'm doing really well. I'm blessed. And, you know, I'm just every day for me. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that needs a 33-day month with a 33-hour day to figure out when to sleep because <laughs> I'm wide open these days, very busy. But, you know, with the work I'm doing and my calling to get out there to the world, I can't let that, I can't drag my feet. I just got to keep pushing. And thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to come talk with our listeners and our viewers. We really appreciate it. Uh, this is going to be a great episode, and I want to get to the questions that we've been dying to ask. The first question I have for you is, where are you from? And give us a little bit about your background. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I'm from kind of all over, and I'll just, and I say that in, in a really funny way. Uh, I was born and raised in uh, North Jersey, uh, just outside New York City. Grew up a lot of Italian neighborhoods, and uh, at 19, I joined the Army. So then I was all over the place. I spent a lot of my time stationed down in the south portion of the United States, did some time in Hawaii. Uh, I've served over in the 91 Gulf War, as well as Operation Iraqi Freedom 2004 to 2005 for 15 months. So in my time in service, I did 25 years before I retired. And then I moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina. And that's pretty much where the home of Fort Bragg is, home of the 82nd Airborne, my first unit. Took a contracting job and I kind of base out of there now. And I actually spend about 200 plus days a year on the road, uh, whether it be on survival challenges you see on TV or out just doing my own stuff in the wilderness, training others or anything like that. Thank you so much for your service to this country, my brother, and what you guys do out there around the world, making sure that America and the United States is safe. So I appreciate the service that you have given to this country. And we need to be more mindful of that, what our, what our vets go through and all of the service that they put in trying to defend our rights and our liberties. So thank you very much. The, the question I'm going to ask you next is one that I was curious about because, you know, when I, as I watch these shows, you know, I try to make a lot of comparisons to those who have to survive in many different um fields of uh of nature and life so i asked you what made you take an interest in being an outdoor survivalist and how old were you when you began that's a great question and first off it was my honor to serve this country i'd do it all over again uh in a heartbeat and uh when i was a little kid my parents divorced when i was very young and my dad he you know he was a carpenter but on the weekends you know he's born in the wrong era the wrong state he should have been out in colorado because he's a he was a cowboy at heart and an outdoorsman. So he would take me and my kid brother out hunting and trapping and fishing and, and uh, doing rock climbing and canoeing, and camping outside all the time. And through that, I got a love for the outdoors. And that was just uh, increased by my uh, time in, in scouting and working as a camp counselor. Uh, those kinds of things really kept me out of trouble because uh, when I didn't have that stuff, I was quite the hooligan. So it was good to have an outlet like that. But once I got in the military, I was uh, in ranger school in 1988, and I got taught some uh, 
different types of survival techniques to use in the different environments we were training in. And so after I, I got exposed to that, I was really interested in it. And while I was a ranger instructor in uh, 1994, they made me the primary survival instructor at that Florida ranger camp. So they sent me to formal uh, survival school in the Army known as SEER School. And I went there, learned my stuff, and I fell in love with uh, survival skills. And, you know, during that time with Y2K coming and other, you know, people talk about end of days and all this. I want to be the best survivalist I could be to keep me and my loved ones safe and my friends and set out on a course to be the, the most baddest man on the planet, the, the best in the business in survival. That was something I just dove right into and kept honing. And I love being outside. I love being in the wilderness because that's where I hear God's voice loudest. You know, basically Discovery, they found me and they tried me out for a couple different shows and long story short. Uh, they they brought me in for Naked Afraid, filmed the first episode, which was a working pilot. I was consulting and advising on it as well and had to survive 21 days with a partner. So in many ways, from young and old, from little children as young as six years old to women as old as 90, from all walks of life for many different reasons. And I was like, wow, what a powerful medium and what a powerful example I can be to others, whatever they see and they take away from me. I don't question it. I just go. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. And uh, that's a powerful statement because, you know, I'm an inner city guy. I come from the streets and I was out there in a world where, you know, we rarely got a chance to even uh, experience nature. But after learning, you know, about survival and watching these shows, I started thinking kids need to learn this in school. Because when you look at the show, you're learning. It's educational because you don't know what stuff you can eat. You don't know what's poisonous. You don't know what. Uh, animals that can kill you out there or anything like that. And so me watching it as a city kid, it it, it made me want to learn more, like you said, so that I can be uh, somebody to help them, to guide them and navigate them through such a situation. So I think that's why I wanted to interview you so much. If you can do that outdoors with nothing except skill and tenacity, I feel like people in my environment, especially incarcerated people, could take some of them skills to bear as well. So I appreciate you, and I just wanted to let you know that before I went to the next question. And let me just add to that, Philip, you, you bring up a great point. And when I teach my survival, I want to teach it to the everyday Joe or Joan, uh, multicultural cities where I'm at, when I can travel around, because it's a very important skill. It's a life skill. There's three things on this planet I think everyone should know how to do. Uh, one is swim, because it'll save your life. Two, basic first aid, because it'll save your life and someone else's. And then basic survival skills like you talked about, so important. And you're right. If we could teach it in, to, in the school system, uh, it would give some people focus, would be, well, a heck of a lot more interesting than uh, math sometimes, I would say. But <laughs> you, you'd, be, uh, you'd be surprised how many people in the prison system watch the show. You know, everybody, when they hear somebody's naked on there, everybody's turning the channel in prison. <laughs> <laughs> That's good they might think that it's something like that where they see naked people, but at the same time, once they start watching it, they discover that it's about education, it's about survival, it's about teaching you things that you will need if the situation ever arises. Because if you don't have them skills, uh, you're not going to survive out there. We all know this. So that brings me to my, my next question. What are your thoughts in general about the criminal justice system here in the U.S.? Well, that's a great question. And, and um, you know, that's one that a lot of people have been kicking around for a while. And I think uh, in me, in my personal opinion, I think we've got a problem. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of facets. It's it's multifaceted problem. 
One, I think the justice system in uh, total needs an overhaul from top to bottom. Um, and then the prison systems, you know, I'm, I'm on the side of I know people get out there, you make a mistake, everybody deserves a second chance. And the right way rehabilitate it, you know, not having people fend for themselves. You, you want people to have positive, a positive thing, a positive result, you know, then give them something to be positive about and give them a goal to work towards. Because if you don't have anything to work towards, you're just, people are just going to get, they're just going to stop trying to work or improve on themselves. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of misjustice on both ends of the spectrum people getting incarcerated and didn't didn't have a fair shake at, at, at the trial and, and things weren't all there. And then off they go. And it's like they want to throw away the key on everybody. I think it's it's just there's a lot of problems and it needs a big overhaul from top to bottom. You know, are there some people that that need to be in prison and probably away from society? Sure. Uh, and a lot of those individuals, I think we clearly know who they are because there's no bones been pulled about that. Once someone's incarcerated, it shouldn't be, hey, you're in here forever. It should be, you're in here, here's your here's your time. But they got to put a real good investment in, in shorten that time because being in there, you know, several decades, during that time frame, a person's got to have shown that they, you know, they've been doing good or moving towards good and towards something different. And uh, I'm not very familiar with all the parole system, but I'm sure that probably needs to be uh, overhauled as well. And that's that's just for me uh, being on the outside and, and seeing how things go in that area. I, I think, again, I know being from the military, when you're training, if there's a problem, you readjust it, you fix it so that, you know, if there was a mistake or something happened because the training wasn't on par, you get the training on par and you hold people to standards. It's always got to be a quality control. And then leadership is the biggest thing that leadership has to step in and take responsibility for everyone underneath them. Because I know when I was a young sergeant, if one of my four soldiers underneath me stepped out of line, I knew you were you were telling a fib because those guys, there, there's no way they would have wanted to upset old Sergeant Snyder. <laughs> I like that. And you know what? A lot of things uh, crossed my mind as you were speaking. The first thing I want to say is that I'm a proponent of uh, restorative justice. First and foremost, if we, if a person does a crime, uh, we're not saying, oh, they shouldn't go to jail. We're not saying that they shouldn't be in prison or that they shouldn't have something done to intervene to show them that there's an error in their ways first. And then Restorative justice calls for when you hurt somebody to go back and uh, redeem yourself, make amends and try to, you know, show the people that you're remorseful yeah. first. The second thing is when people know that they have a second chance, it makes them want to do the things that's right to show that they deserve it. But when they think that the key is thrown away and they have no other opportunity uh, to go out back out to society, they lose hope. And so that's yeah. one thing that I took away. Um, as you were talking, and I wanted to make make them understand that. That yeah. last part about the military versus the police forces, like you said, I agree with you 100%. In the military, every time they see that something doesn't work, they uh, they readjust. I haven't been in the military, but I can see this myself. They take that yeah. stuff serious, and they say, okay, we got to do something about that. We're going to put up some safe rails. Uh, with the police department, I see a lot of times is that they just continue to do the same thing. They just look forward to people that support them to come and defend them and say, oh, well, they're here, they're risking their lives every day, they're doing what they can to protect us. That's true. 
some of them are doing things and they're getting away with it and there's no safety rails. And so they continue to behave. If you don't do something to check it, what are they going to, why would they change it? You know, so I'm glad. I brought that up. Yeah, and it goes back to, like I said, leadership. And when you have bad leadership, I'll tell you that Apple, once that, if the leadership's bad, that Apple's going to be rotten. And, and there'll be a few good seeds in there, but uh, leadership has to take responsibility. You always have to be have your finger on the pulse. You got to be out there making sure everyone's doing the right way. And, you know, training. You, you got to make time for training that costs money. And if it's important, you know, you got to get the, the officers in the right training programs because they're dealing with a lot of stressful things. You have them have outlets, you overworking them. People are stressed and you can put them in an intense situation. Everybody's going to have a, a rough time. I'll also say in terms of, I think it's a, a tier process too. If, if, if someone does wrong, like you said, they, they pay their fine. They, they go maybe incarceration for a little bit. But if, if they're showing progress towards them bettering themselves, like you said, I agreed with everything you said in terms of remorsefulness and all that. There, there can be programs we could be standing up and putting some good use to our taxpayer dollars other than what other garbage is going on right now with some of this money. But we could set up a job pool, some, kind of, some other kind of core where the uh, individuals go out, put work in the community. Everyone sees them out there cleaning up graffiti or, or just different things and helping out the community, helping go to a, a, a homeless shelter or where they have a, they're feeding the homeless and, and just show that me the criteria, maybe a year of that. Then it's like, Hey, let's, let's get them in a job situation now. Thank you all for listening, subscribing and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating if you can to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a 1,000 subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhillip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall, Behind and Beyond. We're back on the other side with EJ. We love the answers that we're getting, and I'm shocked to say that you're very informed um, about some of the things that's going on and how some of the funds that are allocated are being spent in, in uh, wasteful ways. Uh, when this can be put to better use because there's over 2 million people incarcerated in America and there's a lot of things in the country that we could fix. It's a give a person an opportunity to get back to their society. So I love what you had to say about that. And if you wanted to pick up back off where you left off or if you had some more to add, please feel free to do so. Exactly right, Philip. And like when we were, when I was finishing up, I was talking about, you know, having some kind of a core system where, you know, an inmate is, is shown remorsefulness, like you said, has been working hard at, you know, righting the wrongs and, and trying to get themselves back on, on track could be a very positive thing uh, to helping, you know, an individual get back at things. Absolutely. And you hit it on the nose. I hope they're listening. My next question for you is what gave you strength on those days when you thought you couldn't go on? Great question. I get it all the time because people, you know, mental toughness, people say, oh, can you teach that? Can you learn it? I said, yeah, well, you kind of learn it. You learn it through the process of what you go through in life. And there's a, every little thing you face in life, and you get knocked down and, and, and you go through something tough. That helps build mental toughness. It helps build a will. You know, like what you do after you get knocked down, do you sit there in a little ball and curl up and cry and wondering, you know, who's going to help me? Or do you just get up, say, man, that sucked. 
dust yourself off, put on a grin on your face and you push forward. It's, it's about pushing on. And, and when you're out there and things get tough, you know, you know, like my, my kid brother who I've lost, what he went through and he's not on this earth to walk around anymore. All the, the uh, brothers and sisters are lost in the military that can't be with their families anymore and walk around. And yeah, I might be having a tough time, especially in a survival situation, but I'm not in the Hanoi Hilton as a POW get my teeth knocked out. I'm, I'm in a situation that I can actually affect. And if I get down on something, I'm like, well, what can I do to make my situation better? And the biggest thing I do when I'm out in the wilderness is I have a regimen and a, and a daily habit. First thing in the morning, I get up and I try to be up with the sun and I meditate. I, uh, I stay silent and still and give gratitude for a little bit. And then I say my prayers and set my intentions and affirmations for the day and uh, do a little yoga. And that sets my course for the day because I've mentally got myself right. I spiritually got myself right. And then physically, I normally go work out or do something like that. Man, I like that. I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your brother, man. And I can relate to you because I lost two of my younger brothers myself uh, to the street violence. When you talk about yoga and setting your intentions, uh, I kind of do the same. I use meditation, breathing, and I like to work out. That kind of keeps my mind um, from uh, getting atrophy inside of this environment. And I read. So I kind of get up in the morning and try to start my day off that way as well. And I and I know that what you're saying uh, is helpful in that regard. So uh, thank you for sharing that also with some of the listeners because they, they might can utilize it as well. Mind, body, and spirits, everything, having a good balance uh, in everything we do in life. And, and not doing it in an indulgence, you know, just doing it in uh, things in moderation. But when you set yourself for the day and you bring in a positive spirit to your, yourself and then you walk around and you say good morning to people and how you doing and smile, that just that's contagious. Uh, another thing I'll caveat on, and I remembered the point I wanted to talk about earlier, that I'm a firm believer, too, you got to get people away from certain environments because it's too easy and too much of a trap for people to fall back in their old ways. Like my kid brother, for instance, was, had, a, had a real bad substance abuse problem. He was living in around Newark, New Jersey. And I was working really hard on getting him out of that environment to where I was at, where I know he couldn't be influenced by any of those factors to help give him a shot. And part of that was he had to go to rehab and finish rehab for six week program. And then when he did that, I knew that he was serious about getting better and then he could come live with me but sadly about a week from him coming to stay with me and getting out of Newark he uh, ran into a character that he had been in a halfway house with before and they had one last too much party for him and and then that's what we is why we lost him feel like I never had a chance to get to him and uh, affect that but God is times perfect what happens in this world is by the universe's will and on that particular day, he was called back to heaven on 11-11, which is the angel's number. It's the angel's calling card. So uh, I believe he's up there in heaven doing what he loves best, which is fishing. So I hope him and Jesus are catching a lot of basses. That's what's up, man. And uh, again, man, I'm sorry for your loss. I know that you are representing hard and doing something that makes a difference in other people's lives in the hopes of saving another person. And that's, that's all we can do. The word that comes to mind when I think about someone doing even a month outdoors and survival is resilience. What would you call the human characteristics that prevents the person from tapping out? And my uh, sentiments and condolences back to you, Philip, for all your losses uh, with your 
parents and your 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 siblings as well. I understand that all too well. I lost my own father, so I want to send that love back to you. Uh, resilience is a very strong word that we use in the military, and resiliency is something that is not just it's it's physical, it's mental, it's spiritual. And when you're resilient, that's like you never try to, you know, somebody come by and might be uh, put some spray paint on your car or they uh, drew a marker on there. Or some days, even with me, I would see a scratch on one of my, my vehicles. I'm like, and I would be sitting there trying to rub that stuff off and that stuff, no matter how much hard you work at trying to get, get it off, it won't come off. When I've gone out to the wilderness and you've seen me on the challenges, everything from 21 days to 40 days to 60 days, uh, resiliency is just never giving up. Always knowing there's one more thing you can do in, in life in a survival situation and you never give up hope. Like you said, when you give up hope, all hope is lost. So you got to look to what is that motivating factor in my life that's going to push me further through. And for me, quitting's not an option. I'm sitting there in the middle of the cold swamp two weeks by myself trying to make my situation better by trying to uh, get out over the water and make a pond uh, in the Atchafalaya Swamp Basin. So I'm moving all the green hyacinth lily pads out of the way, and I'm putting a fence up so they don't come back and I can catch catfish. While I was walking out on this tree branch, or it was more of an actual tree that fell over, a willow tree, uh, when I got to the end of that willow tree, the branch broke, and I speared my uh, right testicle and tore it open in two places. And I came out of that water mad as heck because I felt my challenge might be over. I wouldn't have a wouldn't be on my terms it'd be on the fact that you know i'm clumsy and i'm heavy and i broke a branch and i fell in the water and uh you know i said no not today and i uh, looked at everyone and they gave me an option to go to a sterile facility and stitch it up with no you know that way i could get medicine and possibly you know not lose my testicles or lose my life even and i decided to stick around in a non-sterile environment with a high risk of infection, high risk of losing my genitals in life, and said, not today. And I didn't take any painkillers for that. No local painkillers. And they looked at me like cross-eyed. And they're like, what makes you tick? Why are you still here? And I said, well, one, I'm E.J. Snyder. Two, I'm not like some knucklehead sitting on the couch, you know, waiting for life to pass him by. I'm going to suck the bone out of it. Three, I'm E.J. Snyder. Now I got to go get some firewood. So get out of my face. Hey. And that's why you're the GOAT, because the average <laughs> wouldn't have been able to stay. They would have got up out of there in, in two seconds. So, <laughs> again, man, and, uh, that's right. and uh, we all salute you, you know? Yeah, thank you. What I was going to say, too, to add to that is that people ask me the same thing. How are you able to endure after 32 years of incarceration? And I tell them the same thing you said. Quitting is not an option, because from day one, I always felt, that I needed to get back to my family. I always felt that this can't be my story's ending, that my legacy can't be just sitting here forever in prison, right? And so right. we're losing it while I was here. And so I decided a long time ago that I was going to do whatever I had to do to stay healthy mentally, uh, emotionally. Absolutely. You got to just keep pushing. No matter what's in front of you, whatever obstacle, you know, if, if there's a wall in front of me, if I can't, get around it. I can't go over it or go under it. I'm going to go right through it. I'm going to find a way. And I commend you for, you know, your continued fight and continued going. I mean, I'm just a little bit older than you are. And you have been, you know, turning things around for yourself inside there. I've not ever been incarcerated or in jail uh, other than the mock things I've been through in the military uh, simulating POW camps. 
I, I know for myself, you know, when they when the pandemic hit, uh, they said stay in and don't go nowhere and you can't leave your house. That freaked me out. And I found I had this phobia of I can't be in that thing. And and I took my son and we went to the woods and on my website, EJSnyder.com. Uh, there's my basic survival's outdoor skills series. You can get it on streaming, uh, DVD, or thumb drive. But my point is, my son and I, we we went to the out to the state forest and the national forest, and we filmed an 11 video series to help people that can't afford the classes. They can just buy that, which is much more affordable at a hundred dollars, and you get 15 hours of learning and EJ Snyder like you got on your TV. But I got the bomb with my son. The two of us didn't climb the walls. My point is, we weren't going to let anything stop us. So we went and did something productive in the course of that summer. That's right. That's what I say, man. That's what we got to do. Some of the time, some of the prisons and stuff, we got to make it so that there's nature brought to them or create an environment where they can see um, trees and stuff like that. Because a lot of these places in the middle of nowhere. Um, Yeah. To be able to endure such harsh conditions out there in the wilderness, such as starvation, dehydration, freezing temperatures, loneliness, sleep deprivation, etc., what would you say the toll is on one's mental health? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I always say the attitude of nature heals, trees heal. And I tell people all the time, you hear the term tree hugging. Well, I used to thought that was, you know, talking about some bush hippies and tree hugging hippies, but uh, when you, it's an amazing thing when you go out and you can touch a living creature of God like a tree and hug that strong beast of a thing and, and just commune with nature. And, you know, these challenges do take a toll on some people. And a lot of people, some of them break. Some of them tap. They can't go any further. And people ask, hey, what do you think about tapping? I call tapping a, an acronym. T-A-P, that spells tap. But to me, it means T is for totally, A is at, and P is for peace, totally at peace. So you find that point when you're okay with saying it's time for me to go, me being here is a detriment to my own self or others. And you have to be mentally strong out there. You have to be physically ready. You have to have your health online. Spiritually, you got to be ready. But it it takes a toll on everyone a little differently. I'm kind of a freak of nature at 56 years old, but um, the starvation factor and the malnutrition has um, kind of come to bear now. I, I am suffering from a failing thyroid, so I have hypothyroidism and a gluten allergy. But when I'm out there, I'm eating super keto, so that's kind of just how I eat now to adjust for what happened. My toenails and my fingernails will never be right, and I've lost a lot of teeth through it. Other people have gone as much as lost hair. Some people that tap out and quit, and it wasn't a medical, uh, forever are trying to get back out there to because they have unfinished business. And I can't imagine what that feels like. I'll never know what that feels like because I'm six challenges out and zero taps at 206 days, and that ain't happening with me. So uh it, it's you, you know there's only there's only three of us me max and steven out there that have six challenges and zero taps matt has seven challenges one tap jeff has five and one and laura's five and oh and that's the cream of the crop and you can look at any one of us as individuals and and see what what pushes us forward like that as an example that's what's up man and hats off to all of them man that was able to do it uh because i know it's not no easy rodeo uh, being in prison, I've become a proponent of mental health and emotional wellness because this environment has a way of wearing down one's spirit. Uh, would you agree that prison is not always a physical place, 
But oftentimes, even in the free world, a person can find themselves in a prison of their own making. Absolutely, 100%. You know, we, we have learned this through the process, and the pandemic's a good example uh, about how you lock people down and how that can destroy oneself. And I often refer back to my training and, and study of the POWs of Vietnam and how people like John McCain and some of the others spent nine years in this prison and, and, the, and the horrible things that they went through in terms of mental torture, uh, uh, physical torture and all those things. And it's like that, that the mental and the spirit, you know, it, it, they, they can be broken and can be broken very easily in, certain, in some individuals. Others, I don't know what makes them so much stronger than some, but I really believe you're correct and that you physically can lock somebody away. And then, you know, if they don't have hope or whatever, all they know is this is my routine for the next multiple years or decades. What goes through one's mind like that? And, you know, there has to be a process and a, um, a purposeful process of helping one's mental health and helping them deal with the, the tough things they're going through in prison, because, I know there's bad things going on in there for folks too. And that there's, you know, you, you, you see the other TV shows and this uh, that you see on TV about prison and, and pro, you know, a lot of that I'm sure is very true and probably worse than I can imagine uh, what people have to go through in that, in that prison system is a survival of its own. And if there's other people that are in there that, you know, they don't want to change, you know, they're, they're going to, they want to continue doing what, what they were, what they've been doing. And cause that's all they know. Like you said, you know, you, they become a product of, of what you seen as a child, what you went through. And you know, if, you don't, if you don't break that, that chain, so you got to break that chain and you got to have a good, well thought out program. That's going to help people. Hey, I always say that prison is a, a, a microcosm of a macrocosm being society. And every individual in here has separate uh, challenges that they have to face, some harder than others. I got 30 seconds on this uh, call. I'm going to call back so we can finish up and uh, close it out. All right, Philip, we'll wait for you on the other side. Great, great. This is one of my one of my favorite podcasts. Prison is what sometimes what you make it, but in a lot of times um, you're trapped in an environment where you can't escape uh, or stay in your house or uh, not be around certain individuals who may have negativity. So you have to navigate carefully. Um, each person has different challenges. Some people, you know, they get victimized. Some people um, use utilize the education system um, or they stay in positive places where they can, uh, you know, make a lot of friends and, you know, develop relationships. But everybody doesn't have the same social skill set. So it could be hard on some, difficult for others. But all, all in all, um, it's no different than being out in society, except for the fact that your liberty is taken and you cannot go home when you want to. Um, and so I want everybody to know, listening to this, it is not fun being in prison because you're away from your loved ones and you always have to be on guard for what may be around, lurking around the corner. Uh, but if you have a positive attitude and you, you, you know, you try to stay away from the things, uh, drugs, gangs and all that, you can uh, get through your sentence. Um, and come home in a holy, healthy uh, state of mind. So I just want everybody to know that. That's great right there. This is a question I have on a lighter note for my silly. They <laughs> wanted me to ask you, what's worse, being out in the wild, not having toothpaste or not having toilet paper? I'm going to have to go with the toothpaste part because, like I said, I the, my teeth are my weak point for being uh, malnutritioned. I've lost several. 
you know, when I'm out there, I do use uh, charcoal to brush the teeth and it works really well and, it, and, and whitens them up real well. But I, I do like to make sure I've got fresh breath because nobody wants to be in a closed in shelter uh, with people with bad breath. So we all try to do our best with charcoal, but toothpaste, you know, this last challenge, you saw me, the first thing I did before cleaning up was scrub those teeth, uh, toilet paper, plenty of leaves out there, never shortage of leaves. So there's always plenty of toilet paper around, but I'd like to, I would have loved to have stretched out one, uh, tube of toothpaste for 60 days. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That's what I'm talking about. I thought that's what you might say. And finally, is there anything else you would like to share with the incarcerated community or their loved ones? Uh, what I'd like to share with all of your uh, fellow cellmates out there across the country in the uh, multitude of uh, prison systems we have on every level and their family members. You know, when someone is is locked away and we've taught this when I was in the, you know, I was in the survival school with the military and we would talk about POWs and, and going away and uh, you know, letters to people that are, are, are closed up and away from their loved ones, whether you're out in a survival situation or you're deployed as a soldier or you're, you're especially if you're in jail and incarcerated that getting letters and getting things from the outside, I'm sure, <coughs> excuse me, means so much mentally. It, it's huge. I remember being in the military when I would get a letter from home, and now they have all these, you know, Zoom and they've got all these ways of communicating. But back in the Gulf War, it would take six weeks for uh, for me to send a letter back home and get a response back to that very question. And so I would say that anything you could get while you're in there and the support and love and knowing that people and care life. about you well, goes goes a long way, a long way for the mental health of an individual, uh, I imagine, who's incarcerated. So I would encourage loved ones not to give up. That, you know, I tell everybody, when you meet somebody in life, the words you speak or the actions you take with them could change their life forever or possibly even save their life. And so, you know, a kind word, a letter, I get pen pals all the time and, and send in letters back to a little child who, who looks up to you. You know, what it does for that particular individual doesn't matter what it does for me. It's the recipient that matters. And so I would encourage everyone not to give up hope, to stay and support your loved one and, and stand in their corner through thick and thin and, um, and and give them hope, sending them those care packages, the, the letters, you know, homemade cupcakes. You know, it, man, if I was gone for so long and someone sent me a stale cupcake, I, just because someone took the time to make that thing for me, I, I'd probably still eat it. And, um, and I would say that, you know, the, the, the best thing you can do for your loved one, too, is write your congressman, get involved, take action, because action, that's what matters. You have to take a physical action towards something if you want to get a result. And uh, I would be blowing them up, their phones, their letter mailboxes, everything. The mailman would have a bad back as much as I'd be writing them. That's what I'm talking about. All right, y'all heard it. I couldn't have said it better. I love what you said, and I hope everybody gets something out of it. Where can they find your episodes, your shows, how can people, you know, reach out or look at some of the ones that they that they missed or something? Tell them how to get a hold of that or what, what uh, places to go to to uh, access it. Well, the biggest thing people can find out about EJ Snyder, you can just Google me and I'll, a whole bunch of stuff will come up on you. But more so, go to www.ejsnyder.com, sign up with your email. 
you'll get all the alerts, all the positive blogs, the updates. Uh, and then we have a bunch of, you know, training stuff out there, survival gear. Uh, and then you can find out more about me in terms of the show. I'm trying to get my guys to put the links back up, but you can go to discovery go that's discovery G O. And, uh, you can go find all my episodes there. Uh, season, season one, episode two, season two, episode two, XLs one, seven and eight. And then season 11, episode six, where I did it alone. You got dual survival season nine. First Man Out with Ed Stafford, Season 1, Episode 4. All that stuff's on Discovery Go or Discovery Plus. And um, if you go to my website, if you do social media, all my social media links are there, my YouTube link, and uh, just get part of the Skull Crusher Nation. And uh, every day when I do my social media, uh, when I post stuff every, every few days, I try to always send a positive message, and I try to uh, be a light to others out there. And, um, you know, I do have products that I recommend and gear and all the stuff I recommend, you know, I've used and tried because I don't want anybody to get something that I wouldn't back with my with my word and my name. And, uh, you know, that's where you can find me again, EJSnow.com and uh, get ready to put out some books and some other things. And uh, I write for a lot of magazines. So a lot of times I'll take the uh, articles I write and I'll, I'll send them out as blogs on my website for people that can't. Uh, get these magazines. Thank you, thank you. That's powerful, and uh, we learned a lot about everything about what you were saying, you know, and how you tie it into the environment that I'm in. Resilience is a must. Hope is a must. Family support is a must. And I'm standing up for change. Uh, we look forward to everything you got coming out. When we drop the episode, um, we're definitely going to let you know so that you can promote it on the other side uh, because I want everybody to hear that, you know, different people from different walks of life, people that have uh, similar experiences uh, can learn a lot from each other. And if we come together as a society and a community, uh, we can achieve much more because when we don't know, the next one does. And that's what it's all about, unity, you know, unity and positivity. Absolutely. We can find a lot of good uh, and a lot in each other if we connect and we have compromise and understanding and do it with nothing but love in our heart. Uh, a lot of good things will happen. Stay up out there, EJ. And I look forward, man, to talking to you in the future. And I'll keep you abreast uh, of my journey and what I got coming up, man. Thank you for your time, Philip. You stay positive as well, brother. My best to your silly. And uh, all the others out there, you guys stay positive. Don't give up hope. And remember, there's always one more thing you can do. So stay mentally tough, stay spiritually connected, and stay physically strong. In the end, you can't go wrong. For sure, man. Have a great day, man. God bless you, Philip.